Uh, this evening, I have a, just a moment to speak with you on this community outreach weekend. And I think the text that I want us to look at has to be one of the most important in the Bible. It's James chapter one. Uh, there are about five or six what I call boil down texts in the Bible. It's where it takes the whole of what the Bible talks about, about who God is, about what he's done in the world and what he's done for us. And then it boils it down to the most important parts. And in this one, what's being boiled down is what difference this faith in Christ should make. Uh, what James is going to call a true religion. I mean, genu- the real thing, the real thing. And I'll uh, want us to look at that as we look at James chapter one, verse 27. If, if you picked up one of the Bibles in the back, I think it's page 830. Um, I know we have some seminary students here. Again, I know you have it memorized in Greek, but you might want to listen to it in the text that I have, too, because it's God's word. And I want us to hear it carefully and respect it. I'd like us to stand as I have that. I want you to wake up. See, for those who weren't listening, didn't that do it? All right. Thank you so much, brother. James chapter one, we begin with verse 27 and you'll see it just sounds like a sermon uh, because it is and it is the word of God. Religion that God, our father, accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So my brothers and sisters. As, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Now, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and then a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the men wearing fine clothes and say, oh, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, oh, you stand back there. Or sit on the floor here by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves? Now, there's the phrase I said, I want you to see. Uh, Among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Uh, Verses 12 and 13. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs. Over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith, but then has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith By itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. As you've heard several times, this is our community outreach weekend. And I think anybody who knows anything about being a follower of Jesus knows that if we're going to be consistent with what Jesus told us, we have to reach out to our community. And the way that followers of Jesus have done it has always been in two ways. Some reach out with our words, where when people see that our lives are becoming more of what they should be, and they see a change, and we say, well, I I was blind, and now I see, and I didn't do it myself. He did it. We use our words to talk about the Jesus who transforms us. But we also know that when we have met Jesus, our lives should start reflecting what his life reflected, right? 
And that is also a compassion, a love for any person that God brings across our paths. It's, it's these two kinds of outreach that I always find throughout the history of the church, any Christian community, any any community that says Jesus is the Lord of our community needs to reach out to its community in these two ways. Now, at the early part of the 20th century, there were some people who tried to separate those. There, there was one group that said, no, we won't talk about Jesus. We'll just do good things for people. And then in reaction to that, there was another group that says in reaction saying, oh, no, no, no. We've got to point them to eternal things and would preach about Jesus, but did not care about people. So thankful. And actually, much of it started right here in this church community. Uh, a man named Carl F.H. Henry, who years ago, I think 1948, uh, wrote a book that that changed the way so many Christians looked at this. It was called The Uneasy Social Conscience of the American Christian, which said that both of these had to be held together. When we have found mercy from God and trusted in Jesus, we have to tell people that there's mercy and a, and a new life for them. But at the same time, we have to care for people for whom Christ died in the same way that he cared for us. So that's what we want to think about our outreach to this local community that God has put us in. Now, I want you to know that community outreach in the name of Jesus is always going to look different from just social agencies. In what way? I mean, we're both going to try to do compassionate things, social agencies in the church. But there are some differences. One is that we don't do it simply for self-congratulations. We do it simply as a part of our faith. We know that we don't deserve to be in God's family. We have found we have found grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so anybody who crosses our paths, we, we think, well, if God helps me, there is hope for anybody. So it just flows out of that kind of faith in Jesus. And second we don't do it just as a ministry to those people out there, but we recognize that the people who may now be hurting have the opportunity to be in our family. There is a, a wonderful Bible commentary. I, I'd recommend it to anybody who would like to have a one volume. It's called the Africa Bible Commentary, written by all African exegetes and uh, theologians. And in taking this James text that I read to you, Solomon Andrea, I believe he's a Nigerian, wrote this. And we have it. Look at it carefully. So perhaps a little wordy, but I think you can get it. This pure Christianity that James called true religion. It's not just a non-governmental organization. It's not that we become an NGO just doing social work. The compassionate work done by Christian believers is the product of their faith. The, the religion is characterized by Christ-like lives of its members. And here's the goal. I mean, if we get involved in community outreach, the goal is that the rich, the poor and the in-between all become a part of one eternal family. Unlikely relationships. Uh, the faith placed in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ results in an unexpected family, all of whom live together in such a way that God is glorified. Do you, you see what he's getting at? 
This is a different way of, of reaching out to the community. It's not just doing things for people out there, though, if you're going to do anything, you might as well do something rather than nothing. But the church has so much more to offer. We offer a place of belonging and of community if we will be what God raised us up to be. And this is the message that you find in James. And I, I want to walk you through it. It's one of the great texts. We're going to come back to this someday where I have a whole lot more time and I have just a few moments today. I just want to walk you through it so that you can see that this is the very thing that if you boil down our Christian faith, this is what needs to happen. Do you have a Bible with you? I want you to see how chapter one flows into chapter two. The message that James gives actually begins earlier in chapter one. But do you know that those chapter and verse divisions weren't there in the Bible originally? Did you know that? I'm glad they're there. I'm telling you, it would be hard to find anything in the Bible if they weren't there. <laughs> so I'm glad they're there. But these chapter divisions, like chapter 2, that was added in the 12th century. So like 1,100 years after the Bible was written. And uh, the, the verse divisions were added in the 16th century. Now, the reason why I point this out is sometimes we just need to ignore that chapter division and read all the way through because there's one big message that is being presented and the message that James is trying to say is that true faith in Jesus is going to come out in a certain way that our lives are changed. Now, let me show you that. Uh, just I'll make four statements and then I'm going to call John up to help me out. What, what is this genuine Christianity that we so much long to be a part of our lives? And, and I, as, as pastor here at Lake Avenue, I just long this the real thing, the authentic Christian faith to be seen here. In our community. What is it like? Four statements. Number one. Chapter two, verse one. It begins with and it requires belief in what James calls the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It's the appeal of the gospel. Look the way he puts it. James usually talks about just how we live, but he takes something for granted. That the people who come into the family have come into this family because we've trusted Jesus as our Savior. So my brothers and sisters, family language, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, you have to live differently. And he, he lets you know what believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have experienced in verses 12 and 13. A bit of a tough text. If you've been here for the Ten Commandments series, it's what it's building upon. He says, so we have to learn since we've trusted Christ. We couldn't do it ourselves. We've had to believe in him. We have to learn to speak and act because we know that if we were just doing it ourselves, we were going to be, we're going to be judged by, by God's standards. It should give you freedom. But if you were here for any of the Ten Commandments, every time I looked at each one, I said, I've fallen short of that one, too. But we found mercy. I'm sure each one of us can look back over this past week and, and see areas where we've fallen short. We, we shouldn't try to pretend otherwise. And yet we come into the presence of God. And God declares to us, that's what the cross is about. I love you, and we find mercy, though we don't deserve it. So here we come, and each one of us, we cannot be proud, right? We cannot be fouled. And the way that he puts it here is, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And the implication is, anyone who has experienced mercy, then will be so grateful that we'll be ready to show it to others. So I want you to know that genuine Religion, genuine Christianity begins with the faith response to Jesus. Where we've acknowledged I've fallen short of what God would have me to be. We know that God loves us and we respond in faith to what he's done. And he casts our sins as far as east is from the west. 
and he gives his spirit to us and he begins to remake us. That is what, where, where this family begins. And anyone who trusts this Jesus, regardless of age, regardless of ethnicity or nationality or socioeconomic level, comes in to the family, brothers and sisters, as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, live differently. How to? This belief in the glorious Lord Jesus flows into a life characterized. Now, here's my language. You'll have to see. I'll say it and see if you characterized more by the kingdom of God than by the ways of the world. In other words, before we come to the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we were living for ourselves. We directed our own lives. And often we were very influenced by what everybody else around us was doing. When we come to God, we say, oh, I give my life to you. We live for him rather than for ourselves or anyone else. So that if you look at chapter two, verse one, and you pull it back into chapter one, verse 27, you'll see religion that God, our father, accepts as pure and faultless as this. And then the last phrase to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is what Christians who have gone on before us call the inner effect of the gospel. That when we respond to Christ, God gives his Holy Spirit to us and he begins to transform us from the inside to the out. And what happens is we much more than ever before want God to rule in our lives rather than to simply live as everybody else in the world lives. So here's what happens. We start living by God's uh, standards rather than by the world. But at the same time, we go out and touch the people of the world. We are willing to develop relationships with all people for whom Christ died, which is all people. And yet we don't live the same way that they do. Can you think of anybody who's ever lived like that? Loving, touching all sorts of people, but not living exactly the same way that they live. Anybody come to mind? Jesus is the one. Let's see, this is the pastor. It's always the answer to every question I ask, right? It's the answer... But that is exactly what we're looking for, because this faith in Jesus flows into a life that's characterized more and more by God's ruling in our lives rather than us continuing to control our lives or being influenced by all the people around us. Third, this faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ also flows into a life of radical generosity toward the people God brings across our paths. Look again as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, pulling back up to 27. Religion that our God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. It's written in the first century. So these two groups, orphans, widows, were the two groups of people most in distress, separated from all sorts of support systems that helped people to be able to live in the first century world. They were often isolated and alienated from everyone. They were the people who most needed help, and they were the people that Christians needed to reach, reach out toward. I've, I've been thinking all weekend about this. I, I wondered if James were being written to 21st century Southern California. Uh, particularly, let's, let's just take Pasadena itself. What would he say? Would he say religion that God accepts as pure and faultless as this? To, to look for high school kids who are trying to get out of gangs. And, and, and just everything in this, there around them is pulling them back in. And to use whatever, to come alongside and to help them to find freedom. Do you think he'd say something like that? Or maybe look for people in your community who have been cut off from their families. So they feel so totally alone. 
And, and you have something you know to offer them. Look for people. I know this. Whatever he would add in that list that he would have for us, he would tell us to have eyes to see the people in our community who are in distress. And, and not to be proud and act as if we could never be there, but as people who have found mercy and can't believe that God loves us. To be able to go and say, you know, as a journeyer, do I have some good news for you? And, you know, this this is the message that has led to the growth of the of, of the Christian faith throughout the centuries in, in the uh, ancient world. Some of the Roman emperors tried to squelch Christianity, even to put to death all the Christians. And yet the church just kept growing. And one of my favorite stories is that happened in the fourth century when an emperor named Julian was trying to kill all the Christians and stamp it out, but couldn't. It kept growing. And so he wrote a letter to one of the pagan priests complaining about the Christians continuing to grow in spite of all they tried to do. And this is, what he, this is one of my favorite sections of the letter. He says, their success, li- no, yeah. their success lies in their charity to strangers. These godless Galileans, that's what he called Christians, godless Galileans, because the Christians weren't following all of the, the gods of the Roman world. They, they committed themselves to this Jesus. These godless Galileans. And then look what he says. Support both their own poor and ours as well. And, and you know what happened? People saw this and they knew that God had to be at work. Uh, those who were the poor who came saw the love of God and were drawn to Jesus. And I think the rest of the world looked around at the way Christians were living in the community. And they said, this must be genuine. And so the church grew rapidly. I, am, I just keep praying and thinking about if we as an entire Christian community, I mean, the warehouse and those of us who meet in the worship center and Comunidad actually read this James text and were committed to having our faith in Jesus flow into this kind of radical generosity to all people that God brought across our paths. I think the same thing would happen here. Which brings me to the fourth and final point I want to make. And this is what sets Christian charity apart from, from NGOs and from social agencies. That this faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ results in us as believers becoming a part of an unlikely family. Again, it's not just a ministry out there. It is that people out there become people in here. We've experienced it, right? We were once away from God. We trusted him. and We became a part of this family. And that is what is available to all who come to Christ. And that's what James sets up. There in chapter two, after saying as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be brought into a family. You better not show favoritism in that family. And then he, he creates a story. He says, so, OK, so here at the warehouse, suppose a man it may not exactly work here in the warehouse. I'm going to change it in a minute. Suppose a man comes in wearing a gold ring and fine clothes all morning. I said, like Pastor Albert, you didn't put on your sport coat tonight. Come in with fine, fine clothes. So he comes in. And what do you think? Oh, there is a person that we want to have right in the front. That person's going to be targeted to become one of the main leaders in the church. We hope everybody sees that he is here as a part of this. And then in that, into that same group on a Sunday evening, in comes a poor man in shabby clothes. He says, listen, if you pay more attention to the one than to the other, you're discriminating. And you see the language among yourselves. You're making it so that one family member is less than another family member. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. I, again, I was thinking about the warehouse. I think maybe here, because 
I, I have to keep figuring out how to dress down to get, to get to come here. So dressing up isn't what's really the, the thing we... Maybe education would be that. Do you, do you think that? Suppose man walks into your warehouse and he has a Ph.D. from Fuller or from Caltech. And another one walks in who had to leave school when he was 13 or 14 years old because he had to take care of his family. Uh, how would we treat them? See, in Christ, the walls come down. Each one has simply found mercy. And so what we are is a family of mercy needing people who have found mercy in Christ. Isn't that true? And in this place, that is where what we have to offer to our community is the compassion and mercy that we have found. And uh, reaching out both with the message and the heart of the gospel. Now, what this actually looks like is something that we're going to see here one more time. We have one more wonderful video just to show you how what happens is that in this family, the walls that separate people from people go down, even those of age. My name is Dwight Tudor, and I'm older than these three fellows. And we've been together now for going on two years. I decided to go with him because he looks blonde and nice and stuff like that. When I first saw Dwight, I thought, um, he's going to be sick. When I first met Dwight, he was, he was like, he looked confident, and he looked like he was actually going to help me. So at my school, I decided to run for vice president because everybody knew me at the time. I thought it was very complimentary that he would come and ask for some help, and I was pleased to do it. And we talked about his presence and how he delivered. We worked hard on He was kind of quiet at that time, and he needed to project a little more, so we spent time not only on what he was going to say, but how he was going to say it. He's, like, always there for us. Like, when we get in trouble, he comes and explains, like, don't do it. Like, next time you do it better and stuff like that. Well, he's playful, but he, he tells, like, you have to, you have to do something to achieve. I'm, I'm happy that he helped me with my homework and my grades went up. I want to go to college. Uh, get my degree for cooking because I want to be a chef when I grow up. I want to go to college to get a degree to be an actress. I want to go to college and um, I want to work at a store so um, I can earn some money and my life won't be hard. Knowing that somewhere that you've been able to touch them and help them in making the tough decisions that they make every day. On the other side of it, they've helped me grow. You can realize about Dwight when he cares about me. He, he wants the best for me. I tell you, that has to be one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Well, I want to take time right now and try to begin applying uh, this text to us here at the warehouse. Since I've come here to, to, the, to Pasadena, people keep asking me as a new pastor here, what is your vision for the church? Um, I always give them the same answer. I, I don't have to have an absolutely new vision because it's not, not my church, right? It, it's, it's our father's church, and he's already told us what his vision for the church is. And those of you who hear me very often, I put the same thing in front of us every time. 
Sometimes you'll say, don't you have any other favorite verse? But let me show it to you. Let me show it to you. This is Revel- I call it the Revelation 7-9 church. This is John having a vision at the end of time. When God is done with his work and is done with us as his family, this family that you and I get to be a part of, he, he tells us what this family looks like. Um, and he says, John says, after this, I looked and there was before me a great multitude that no one could count. And they came from every every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and in front of the lamb. They were wearing white robes. I joke this morning. We're holding palm branches. They must have been Californians. They couldn't have been Chicagoans. Right. Don't have any of those there in their hands. They they cried out in a loud voice. Now, this is the part. I, I didn't do it. I found mercy. Salvation belongs to my God. He's the one that we're going to all sing together to who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And, and my thought always has been, if that is the family that God, by his grace and through faith in the glorious Lord Jesus, has brought you and me into, that's what it's going to look like when he's done. What should our local family look like here? And, and, and how do we continue to take steps to, to what I often call to be what we are? This is what the family is that God brought us into. How can we be, show this to the world? But I want to call up John Wilson who is the executive director of our foundation, because, John, I think that God has set the foundation apart and really has called you specifically uh, to give some leadership to help us to become more like this. Now, I'm going to do what I did uh, this morning. And so John will not be surprised when I thought of the John James one and two text. I had three statements and then I'm going to say them and let him uh, respond to it. If we're ever going to become this kind of family. It seems to me that relationship is necessary. In other words, we have to get into the lives of people who are different from us. The eternal family that we are in is made up of unlikely relationships. Every tribe, every language, every nation, where the walls that separate people from people are down and we are one family in Christ. It seems to me that the steps that we have to be willing to take is to move out of the comfort zone and enter into a relationship with people and see the image of God in them. See the opportunities that we have we've experienced by God's grace that can be extended to them. I call it the ministry of being there, the willingness to leave uh, our comfortable places and enter into a relationship with different people. John. Yeah, I would I would go so far as to say that we're called to, to actually be in relationships with those even across an economic barrier. That it's not just uh, one of those things, just hang out with people who might be different than you. But let's go so far as to say is that we need to we need to cross economics. That's really where uh, true diversity is in our community these days. And, um, you know, there's a guy named Jack Jezreel. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's got a, a website called JustFaith.org, I believe. Great guy. But he's done a lot of teaching on this particular area, and it's really affected me. And one of the areas he talks about is this: the, the, the love, agape love, God's big love, this all-encompassing, outward-focused love, the love that's for the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous, that we as Christians have that love. We have the possibility of loving with agape love. And he would say that uh, agape tends to lean towards the greatest need. That big love tends to lean towards the, the most desperate places. Similar to water finding the lowest point, big love leans to the greatest need. And we see that all through Scripture. 
We see that when God is working, he shows up in desperate places. When Jesus is around, he is where the places where the broken and the wounded are. And so we see that all throughout Scripture about how God's love is working in the desperate places. And so we as the church are called to be a demonstration of God's presence in those desperate places. And so we need to be in relationship with one another. And it's my belief that it is in the context of relationship that we all experience the greatest transformation. I'm going to say that again because I think it's important. It is in the context of relationship that we experience the greatest transformation. And if we are in relationship with someone across an economic barrier, getting to know one another, in that transformation, we together as friends get to be a part of bringing about God's kingdom in the world. And that is really cool. And so we have a way of responding tonight. Uh, on your way in, there were these purple sheets uh, out on the table. I think some of you might have gotten them. But on, on one side, it talks about, uh, right in the middle, it says, Yes, I want to explore my options to have an unlikely relationship. It could be something like the one of the ones you saw in the video. It could be completely different. But there's lots of ways to get involved and experience these unlikely relationships. But you may not even know what that is. You might just say, I I feel like I might need to respond to this. I need this, but I don't know how to do it. Fill it in. We're not going to, you know, lock you down or something like that. Just fill it in. But maybe you do know what you want to do specifically. Maybe you want to be a part of the after school program or you want to mentor. Maybe you want to work with the homeless. You have a homeless hub who's doing that already right here. Um, we have a great camp. We have several camps this summer. We have a great one. Tamara Wolfright over there is a part of the leadership of Royal Family Kids Camp taking foster kids, kids who have had some of the most horrific life experiences imaginable, we get to take them away to camp for a week. It's awesome. Maybe you want to get involved that way. But we need to be in relationship. That is the key. Amen. Okay, second, second statement, John. And maybe we don't have to say, because this has been my message, that my belief that if we're going to be the church where Jesus is really the Lord in this place, then we must be our father's church. We must reflect the makeup of our our father's church. In other words, for us, never is the neighborhood something out there. But anybody in the neighborhood can be can can belong if they'll if they'll come to know the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I I think of the story in in, uh, with Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. When he came to Jesus, came down out of that tree. You know the story, don't you? Came down out of that tree and came to Jesus. Many of the people didn't want to be in a family with that man. And they, they started complaining when Jesus was going to his home. He looked, he's going to a home of the sinner. And Jesus declared salvation has come to this man. And then he says, because he too is a child of Abraham. He belongs in the family. So, John, my, my, my deep conviction is that this is the thing that sets... The, ch- the church apart, that the community is not out there, but that we keep this community always open to anyone who will come and be a part of the yeah. community. And we would go so far as to say we actually need to go out and meet them. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever gone to a party or a meeting or something like that. You walk in and no one acknowledges you. It's, it's this really alone feeling like, why did I even show up? Um, we don't want to be that as the church, do we? This is the point where you say, no. <laughs> Thank you, Albert. <laughs> kind of weak, Albert, but it's still okay. No, we need to be willing to go and welcome and be about going out into the neighborhood and saying, come be a part of this family. The place where that's happening really well here at Lake Avenue Church is in the student ministry department. Yeah. 
the students that we have been working with in the neighborhood, whether it be through the after school, the mentoring program, over the years have been coming to Lake. And when we first started doing it, it was these two separate groups. We had our church kids and we had our neighborhood kids. But the good news is that today is that we just have our kids. This is, if you're in the STARS program, you come to Lake, this is your church. And if you happen to go to Maranatha or LaSalle or whatever it is, you come here, this is your church. This is their church. And it's a really exciting thing. But we long for that for the whole church. Thank you, John. And then the last statement. And I want to say this. I've been so thankful for the uh, leadership of Warehouse that I've had a chance to get to know in the past uh, months. And I know that in many ways, in some of these things, those of you who are, have the Warehouse as your community have led us, have led us. I've been to, I look at Matt, I look at Krista, Darla, Ryan, so many others that I've had the privilege of just getting to know. I'm so thankful to be in the church family with you because I see so much of this genuine Christianity being at the heartbeat of this gathering. So uh, I want to make this last point, though. It seems to me that if we're going to be this kind of family, that always sacrifice is going to be necessary. But... We're going to find that when we have to make a sacrifice to adjust to become a bigger community than we would otherwise be, if we just wanted to be with people like ourselves. It's not just other people who are going to be helped. We ourselves are going to be blessed. I thought about that when I saw Dwight. My guess is that he is older than all three of the boys he's working with. If you combined all of their ages. Yeah. But I know that if you talk with Dwight, you will find out. That he would think that he has the greater blessing than what he's been able to bring to these three boys. And for us, too, being a family, every time we add folks in and become a bigger community that we were, it takes some adjustment uh, for Warehouse to, to, to become a, a part of a community, perhaps where there are people who have been in the church for 80 years and to learn, but also to help them to recognize their family here and for that group of the family also to be able to say, oh, but God is leading new folks with some new thoughts and some new ways into the church. And that we all make these adjustments to be able to come, become more than we would otherwise be. It seems to me it will take that kind of humility and sacrifice on all of our parts in order to become the kind of family that our father's church is. Now, I don't know if you know, I have to run downstairs because I am participating in our high school uh, Lake Avenue Youth Orchestra group. That's why I have a tie over there and so forth. So, John, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you just bring us home here. And I just want to say to all of you, keep us in prayer. I hope this will be your community, because if God continues to work among us, we will look more and more like his family. And I think the people of this community in seeing what is happening here will see our lives, right? But see him at work in us and be drawn to him, to his glory. Thank you. One of the uh, one of the places that we apply the sacrifice, we're going to apply the idea of sacrifice tonight is financial sacrifice. Uh, probably one of the most relatable contexts for what we read about in James with the, the rich person and the poor person coming to the church is what we've had in the past with camp. Um, every summer we take we take kids to camp, and it's one of the most meaningful experiences a person, I think one of our students, can experience. I don't know how many of you have ever been to camp, but it is, it is life-changing. And uh, several years ago, probably about three years ago, uh, the kids from Lake Avenue Church used to go to like Hume Lake or Forest Home, something like that, and then the kids from Stars would go to more of this rustic, sort of beat-down, uh, cheap camp. And 
I will never forget the day that I heard the Stars kids calling it rich kid camp, poor kid camp. Broke my heart. I mean, I'm sure you can understand why. Because they recognize that if they had the you know money, they could go to the rich kid camp, but they don't. So they were at poor kid camp. So we made a commitment at that point that we weren't going to do that anymore. That all the kids from the neighborhood would have a chance to go to camp uh, with everyone else. And so we have uh, several camping opportunities this summer, but it costs a lot of money. Uh, 500 bucks a person. It's a lot of money. Yeah, but that's what it costs to go to camp these days. And so, uh, so what we're going to ask is we're going to take a second offering. This is something we've done at all four services, and I know that it requires sacrifice. And for some of you, the thought of $500 is out of this world. But maybe there's something you can contribute, whether it be $10 or uh, give up a couple of uh, coffee drinks a week over the next couple of months, something like that. Maybe that's what it takes to be able to participate in something like this. But I'm sure there's probably some of you in this uh, group here where sending a kid to camp is probably exactly what you need to do. Maybe it's two, maybe it's five. But this is a way that we can sacrifice so that our church doesn't have to be one of those where the have-nots can't do what the haves can do. That we can go together. Maybe you don't have a way to respond right here, right now, but on the other side of that purple sheet, there's a place where you could write down, like, I want to make a pledge. I pledge to give a certain amount and someone will contact you. Or you can go online, both the Lake Avenue Church website and Lake Avenue Foundation uh, website have uh, ways to give on Lake Avenue Church is a place to designate. So um, we're going to ha- ask you to pick up the uh, the cans once again, your little buckets in the aisles there, and we're going to pass them. Jeremy, you're there. I'm going to pray, though. Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for the opportunity to respond with giving. It is a neat opportunity, God, to be a part of helping send a kid to camp where life will literally change for them. God, thanks for Royal Family Kids Camp. Thanks for Forest Home. Thanks for Lone Tree Bible Ranch in Wyoming. Thanks for all the ways that you're going to drastically and radically change students' lives this summer. And we pray for this money that you would multiply it and you would use it to further your kingdom. God, the lives that are changed this summer, we won't even understand at what they're going to be doing on into the future. But you've got your hand on someone here and I would ask you Help them to give freely so that your work can be done here in Pasadena and beyond. I pray these things in Jesus' name.